Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Unity is connected to maturity. If we are spiritually mature, then we're going to be more inclined to live harmoniously with each other, recognize the importance of how much we need one another as members of Christ's body, and inevitably we're going to then be more impactful in our world when we're united. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 7 through 13, in a message titled, Building Up the Body of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Paul writing says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we're going to be looking at chapter 4, verses 7 through 13, and that'll be where we'll focus, and mainly verses 11 through 13. But again, we're picking up here. And as we pick up in verse 7 here in Ephesians chapter 4, we are still on the subject of Christian unity. Remember, we talked about how in the first 16 verses of this fourth chapter, Paul is really dealing with the issue of Christian unity. And Paul goes on to say that even though we are all part of this one body collectively, he now says we each individually have been given grace to do our part in building up the body of Christ. Building up the body of Christ, he said, till we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. And so that's really what we're talking about today. We're talking about becoming mature as Christians. And Paul, notice he's, he connects these two things. Unity is connected to maturity. If we are spiritually mature, then we're going to be more inclined to uh, live harmoniously with each other, recognize the importance of how much we need uh, one another as members of Christ's body. And inevitably, we're going to then be more impactful in our world 
when we're united. So we're going to be looking really at how the Lord brings about this maturity in his church. And we see here, it starts with him giving gifted servants to his church. And so verse 11, we read, so Christ himself gave, and then he goes on, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints so that they can then do the works of service or the work of the ministry so the body of Christ can be built up. So we're going to look at uh, three major points. First of all, looking at those that Christ has given to the church, the equippers, and then we're going to look at what it looks like to be equipped. And then thirdly and finally, look at what it means to be participating in the building up of the body of Christ. So he mentions these five, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, there are three other places in the New Testament where we have listings of gifts. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and then there's a couple of references to gifts in 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, But in, in each one of those there, those gifts for the most part are gifts bestowed upon believers. But here... What we have is a picture of gifted believers who are being bestowed upon the church by Christ himself for the purpose of establishing and developing the church. And so he mentions five, apostles and prophets. And those two are linked together, then evangelist and then pastor and teacher. Those are also linked together. So when it comes to apostles and prophets, many people have asked this question. Several people have asked me personally this question. Are there apostles still today? And the answer to that question is a little bit tricky. The answer is no and yes. (laughs) So it's quite an answer, isn't it? Are there apostles today? No and yes. So, okay, why do I say no? Well, we have to understand that the term apostle, the the idea of the office of apostle, you can see it in two different ways. You can see it in its primary way that we normally think of it, but then there's also a secondary way. You see, the word apostle in the New Testament isn't always used exactly the same or referring always to exactly the same people. So I believe, Again, if somebody says, are there apostles in the church today? I would say, no, there aren't. If you're talking about apostles like the original apostles, the 12, they had a unique position in history. They had a unique gifting by God. They were uh, the ones who were there to lay the foundation of the church. This epistle, chapter two, verse 20. Remember, maybe when we were studying back there that the The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the the cornerstone. And so their ministry was foundational. And also what they were called and gifted by God to do was to complete the, the written revelation. They brought the New Testament to us. And so when we're talking about apostles in that sense, we would say, no, there are no apostles today. Apostles in that sense refer to the 12, uh, including Paul, their associates, people like Barnabas, Mark, 
Timothy, Silas, Luke, they, they would be the, the primary references. And so, no, we have no apostles in that sense today. But there's apostles in a secondary sense. And there are also prophets in a secondary sense. Now, the, the apostles and prophets, they overlap one another. It's hard to really distinguish uh, between an apostle and a prophet. Their, their ministries overlap. In Acts chapter 13, we read there that in the church in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. That's what it says, certain prophets and teachers. And then it gives you a list of names. And two of the names in that list are Saul and Barnabas. Now, Saul, of course, became the apostle Paul. So Saul and Barnabas are referred to there as among the prophets and teachers. Nothing said about them being apostles, but we know certainly Paul was an apostle and Barnabas is even referred to as being an apostle. So my point is, it's, it's a thin line between the apostles and the prophets and how to uh, divide between them. They're very similar. Their ministries overlap. So now, talking about them in the secondary sense, this is where I would say, yes, there are still apostles and prophets today. So in the secondary sense, apostles today, missionary, in some sense, would be similar. Not everybody who's a missionary is necessarily apostle, an apostle. But some people who have been missionaries, I think, would also have been apostles, had apostolic type of ministry. And I think one of the best illustrations of that, I've shared this before, is going back to the 1800s, but going back to the ministry of Hudson Taylor. James Hudson Taylor, this Yorkshireman who feels called by God as a, as a teenager to take the gospel to the people of China. And then he goes and he, he comes there as a missionary in a, in a missionary organization, but it doesn't take too long before he finds out it's not working out with the organization that he's in. He eventually sort of breaks away and becomes independent. And then he embarks on this apostolic ministry where he is going to where no Christian missionaries have gone before. He's preaching the gospel and he's establishing churches. Today, the 100 million plus Christians in China, many of them in looking at their genealogy, they would point back to Hudson Taylor as uh, being part of their genealogy. So Hudson Taylor was a missionary, that's how we think of him, but he was really an apostle to the people of China. So that's an example uh, of, of an apostle in the secondary sense. So an apostle in the secondary sense is a pioneer evangelist church planter. A pioneer, mean they're going into new territory. They're, they're charting new ground. They're going where Christianity either hasn't been or it hasn't been there for a long time. And any, any remnant of it is, is sort of, you know, almost died out. So they go in and, and they're, they're carving out a new path, so to speak. So that's the, the pioneer part of it. But then the evangelist part of it is, of course, they're going out and they're, they're preaching the gospel. That's what the original apostles did. They went out and they preached the gospel, but they didn't simply preach the gospel. They established churches. So they planted churches. So that would be uh, an example of the apostle in a secondary sense. And yes, we, we have those uh, still today, I believe. Now, we who are part of Calvary Chapel, and you know, we're part of a, 
a group of churches, a network, a family of churches. Some people refer to the Calvary Chapel movement. We have about 1,500 churches plus in our movement, and uh, we are largely a movement of pastors and teachers. And since we're largely a movement of pastors and teachers, we haven't given sometimes a whole lot of thought to the role of apostles and prophets. Many Calvary Chapel pastors would just simply say, there are no longer apostles and prophets. But I think if we stopped and thought about it, we would realize, uh, yes, there are. And we still have some, or we have some even in our own movement that maybe we just didn't recognize. Because we have guys within our own group of churches who have done, not on the scale that, um, that Hudson Taylor did maybe, but they've done similar kinds of things. I often kind of jokingly, but yet also I'm partially serious, I refer to a few friends of mine as apostles to certain places because God's used them in that sort of a way. They went into a region or they might have gone into a nation and they brought the gospel and they planted, you know, 15, 20 churches or something like that. That's an apostolic ministry. Okay, so there you have the apostles. Prophets, what are prophets today then? Are there still prophets today? Well, there are prophets today, yes, uh, but not in the sense that we would think. There's nobody today that prophetically speaks with the same kind of authority that you find in the Bible, the kind of authority that the Old or New Testament prophets spoke with them. The, of course, the Old Testament prophets, they spoke and you, they could say, thus says the Lord. So if you have a prophet today who says, thus says the Lord, I'm I'm a little concerned about that. I'm not thinking that person's necessarily a prophet at all. But I do believe that there is a, a gift of prophet still today. And I think the way I would define it would be those that have an ability to powerfully proclaim, expound, apply the word of God to their generation. And God has gifted certain people whose ministries uh, go far beyond the local church that they might be involved with, and they have a larger voice. Their voice speaks more broadly to the, the body of Christ or a large segment of the body of Christ. I think that's uh, more of a prophetic kind of a thing. Now, probably the best illustration of a prophet that we would be familiar with would be Billy Graham. Billy Graham, I think, was truly a prophet in the sense. Of course, he was an evangelist, but he was, he was a prophet, really because he spoke to a generation. He spoke to nations collectively. He spoke to the world. Billy Graham had spoken to more people about Christ than any other living person in all of history. That's absolutely amazing. So I would say that's a, a prophetic. He had a prophetic kind of a ministry. He preached the gospel to the masses. He uh, influenced and counseled with kings and prime ministers and queens and presidents. And so I, I think he would be a good illustration of a modern day prophet. And there are no doubt others as well. So in the secondary sense, we still have apostles and prophets, and they are part of this group that God has given for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, from there, we go to evangelist. Here's another gift. God has given evangelist. And thank God for evangelists because they're the ones that uh, lead people to Christ. And when we think of an evangelist, most of us 
are aware what what that is referring to. It's to a person who's who's proclaiming the gospel, either maybe publicly to the masses, or maybe they have an effective ministry in personal evangelism. I like what John Stott said in his comments on evangelist. He said, since all Christians are under obligation when they have an appropriate opportunity to bear witness to Christ and his good news, the gift of an evangelist, which is only bestowed upon some, must be something different. I think he's right. So then he says this. He says, it may refer to the gift of evangelistic preaching or of making the gospel particularly plain and relevant to unbelievers or of helping timorous people take the plunge of commitment to Christ or of effective personal witnessing. Probably the gift of an evangelist may take all these different forms and more. And then at the end of the paragraph, he says this, there's a great need for gifted evangelists today who will pioneer new ways of exercising and developing their gift so as to penetrate the vast unreached segments of society for Christ. I couldn't agree more with Billy Graham or with John Stott. We need more evangelists today. We need more people that are gifted to really share the gospel uh, in this kind of a way. God, send more evangelists. When I travel and I meet with churches around the world, different places, oftentimes I, as I'm talking to the pastor, I'm feeling, you know, man, do you have an evangelist here in your church? You need, you need to engage more in evangelism, sharing the gospel with people. So when we think of evangelists, Somebody, again, that I think all of us would understand as an evangelist would be Greg Laurie. Greg has this gift as an evangelist. He speaks to large groups of people, and he presents the gospel in a very clear and compelling way, and multitudes of people respond. That's, that's a gift that God has given to Greg. Um, I think of somebody that has a similar gift, but not exercised on, on that level, but yet just as effective, but more on a, on a personal level. Uh, but not, not to say that it's not maybe to you know, groups of people as well, just not as larger groups, but we have a person who's part of our ministry here, Brian McDaniels. Brian, is he lives and ministers in Haiti. Uh, but anybody who knows Brian McDaniels knows that this guy is just an absolutely amazing evangelist. He's, he's gifted as an evangelist. Every time I'm with Brian and I'm watching him evangelize, I'm just, I'm so jealous. I'm just thinking, Lord, why can't I do that? This, this guy, just with the greatest of ease, he gets into conversations with people. And with the greatest of ease, he just leads right into sharing Christ with them. And, I, you know, I look at it and I honestly just realize this is a gift. And maybe you know people like that, or maybe you are one of those people. Maybe you know people like that, and you're, you're frustrated like I am. Like, how come I'm not like that? Well, it's a, it's a gift. God, God gives these gifts. So the gift of the evangelist. But then we come to the pastors and teachers. And just like the apostles and prophets are, are together and they overlap, so the pastors and teachers are together, and I think they overlap. And this is, for me personally, this is the area where I'm confident that God's gifted me. Now, I do the work of an evangelist, but I don't, I don't sense that, you know, that, that great gifting as an evangelist. But I do it because we're called to do it. And the scripture exhorts uh, 
Paul said to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. I think Timothy was probably more like a pastor teacher, but God's telling him, or Paul's telling him, the Lord's speaking to him through Paul, uh, do the work of an evangelist. So the pastors and teachers, what is the task of the pastor teacher? To oversee the local churches, to teach God's people God's word, to do it both congregationally and individually, and then to pray for God's people. So that's what we do as pastors and teachers. We teach God's people God's word to the congregation like I'm doing right now, but then also individually. We commonly refer to this as counseling, but counseling is really nothing more than ministering the word of God on a personal level or an individual level to uh, a person or a few people. So that's what the pastors and teachers do. The word pastor is uh, the word shepherd. So it's the idea of watching over God's people like a sheep, like a sheep, watch over the shepherd, like a shepherd watches over the sheep. (laughs) So, you know, you think of a shepherd and the sheep, the shepherd feeds the flock, the shepherd tends to the flock, and the shepherd leads the flock. So that's, that's really the role of the pastor teacher. So Paul is telling us that God has given to his church these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints. So the saints can be equipped. And all five of these gifts are important and necessary for a fully functioning ministry the way God would intend it to be. And so, equipping the saints. Now, let me just make a comment here. If you have a King James Bible, if you read the King James Version of the Bible, you might notice in this passage here that there's a comma that's placed that should not be there. And some have referred to it as the fatal comma because what it's done is it's literally hindered ministry for centuries even. And, and here's how that happened. If you, if you have a King James Version, it says, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And then this is what it says. For the equipping of the saints, comma, for the work of the ministry, comma, for the building up of the body of Christ. So because of that one comma in the middle, it was interpreted that these were the, basically these three things were the job description of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So in other words, the, those, that group of people were responsible to number one, equip the saints, number two, do the work of the ministry, number three, build up the body of Christ. You see, so what that did is it created sort of like a professional ministry who did the work of the ministry and it left the vast majority of Christians with nothing to do except to watch, spectate. But you see, the comment never should have been there because what it's actually saying and all of the revised translations understood this finally, what it's saying is that This group, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, their responsibility is to equip the saints so the saints can do the work of the ministry.
For the month of November, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. The world, the flesh, and the devil are constantly at war against us Christians, and sometimes we feel defeated, and at others we give in to the pressures of sin and compromise. But in those times, we should not expect harshness from heaven. We can expect the gentleness of Christ to draw us in all the more, because it is God who sets the terms by which He loves us, no matter how unlovable we think we might be. So no matter what your sin or how long you've been sinning, Jesus will never cast you out. If you need to be encouraged about Jesus' unfailing love for you, or if you know someone that needs to know Jesus' love for them, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.